hearing. I don't know if you're married and your spouse has ever accused you of having selective hearing, but sometimes it can be accused that you don't listen to some stuff and listen to other stuff. And I shared with you some, some of you that were here on Wednesday night, um, God in his humor has decided to give me for a period of time some selective hearing. Uh, this sound, the way it I hear things is like I have two earplugs right now in this ear. And so my hearing is a little bit off. And so if you hear on this side of the church, if you would say amen louder than this side, that way I can hear the amens. And so if you look at me and you're talking to me and he's like, he's not paying attention. It's not really that I'm not paying attention. It's just I'm not hearing everything like I normally hear. And so I don't know if I'm being too loud or if I'm not being loud enough. I told him on Wednesday night that if you start falling asleep, I'll just start getting louder and louder and louder and louder until I feel like somebody is paying attention. So uh, just if you see me and you think, what in the world is he doing? It's just uh, trying to handle some of the discombobulation that's going on between my ears, which is a normal thing, but it's a different than normal. So I am glad that you're here this morning. I hope you have a Bible with you, and I want you to take it and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Hopefully when you came in, you got a copy of this bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes that if you want to use those as we walk through the text this morning. But 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been walking um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the letter of 1 Peter. And it is really Peter writing to that early church there in modern day Turkey. And he's writing to them of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a faithful church in the times in which they're living. And it's something that I have found to be very applicable to us in our day and age in which we're at today. And so we've been walking through this letter verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, where we've gotten to so far in 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2 is 1 Peter talking to those Christians about who they are, their identity in Christ, their identity as a church, who they are in God, what is to mark them, and then starting this morning, he's going to move more to a practical application. But before we get there, a little trivia time. Does anybody know the name D. Snyder? Does anybody, would anybody be willing to say, yeah, I know that name, D. Snyder? Well, I think a lot more of you, thank you, Greg, and thank you, Kristen. So I think a lot more of you know that name than you realize or are willing to admit. So D. Snyder, back in the early 80s, he wrote these words. We've got the right to choose, and there ain't no way we'll lose it. This is our life. This is our song. We'll fight the powers that be just. Don't pick our destiny because you don't know us, you don't belong. And then there's a bridge that comes with this, and I'm going to tell you the bridge before it gets to the chorus. The bridge goes like this. We're right, yeah. We're free, yeah. We'll fight, yeah. You'll see. And then the chorus, we're not going to take it. No, we ain't going to take it. We're not going to take it. Anymore. I think more of you probably recognize that song that you let on. But D. Snyder was the author. He was the songwriter that wrote the song. And also he was the lead vocalist in the band known as Twisted Sisters. And they were huge back in the early 80s. And that song, we are, We're Not Gonna Take It, was their number, their best uh, doing or their best performing song. It reached th- the number 37 on the billboard during that time. Their only top 40 song they ever had. And if you ever watch any music videos of Twisted Sisters, 
you would understand why they didn't get very far because their looks and their appearance is something we look at now and go, what in the world were they thinking? Well, that was cutting edge at that time. But the Twisted Sisters released this song and it was all about that we are not going to take the oppression. We're not going to take people telling us what to do. We're not going to take the rules and the restrictions that others try to put on us. You may say, well, Spence, what does that have to do with us this morning? Well, in many ways, it seems like the church has that same attitude from time to time. In many ways, we can sometimes get in the church and we can act and we can think like we're not going to take it. We're not going to take the rules of the world. We're not going to take the rules of society. We're not going to take the expectations of those around us. We're not going to take it. And even especially, and we're going to get to it later on, but even in this hyper-polarized season that we're in, with the virus and the vaccine and the politics and the governments, You have people walking around and trying to take a stand and say, no, we're not going to take it. We have the right. And this morning, Peter, as he's writing to this church, he is writing to a church that is in the middle of struggle. See, they were under what is known as the Roman rule. So in the Roman rule, there wasn't an elected form of government. There wasn't a democratic type of government. They didn't select their leaders. They didn't select the people that would represent them. They were in what would be considered to be a dictatorship. They had Roman rule. You had the Caesars. You had the Herods. You had this Roman rule. The emperor and they would come down and say this is who in charge and this is this is who is not in charge and this is who's going to be responsible and who's not going to be responsible. So you had all of these early Christians whether they were Jew or Gentiles. You had all these early Christians that were living under this tyranny, this tyrannical rule, if you will, and they didn't have a choice about what they were going to take or not going to take. And so you had a certain number that were in the church and going, why should we have to listen to the government? We serve Christ. And there was all this division and all this polarization and all this schism that was taking place. So as Peter is writing to a church and saying, as we looked at the last couple weeks, this is how you live as aliens in the present reality. This is how you live as exiles in your current circumstance. This is how you live as citizens of one country while your nationality is eternal. This is how you live faithfully in the eyes of God, but representatively in the world around you. So he's going to talk about, in these next weeks to come, Lord willing, we're going to get there. He's going to talk about the church and state this morning, which is going to be very gripping and, and riveting for us to look at. Then he's going to talk about slaves and ownership. In the next week to come, he's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to talk about the, the challenges and struggles. He's going to be talking to the early church, to those Christians, and saying, okay, so you know who you are in Christ. You know your identity in Christ. Now here is how it practically plays out. Here is how we actually live this, tangibly live this, visibly live this, this This is how we represent the kingdom now. So he starts off talking about the church and state. You listen very much to the pundits, you will hear a lot of people talk about the separation of church and state. They will talk about our forefathers and the people that founded this country having having a concern about the separation of church and state. That is misinformation. 
The originating founding fathers, their concern over church and state was that the state would not interfere with the church. They expected for the church to interfere with the state. And yet we have this idea today, well, we've got to keep this separated because the church has no place in the state. I am going to tell you that every single person is governed by a set of beliefs. Every single person, whether they are informed through the Bible or they are informed through culture, every person is operating off a set of beliefs. And so it doesn't really matter. You can't separate the church from the state because you can't separate beliefs from people. But what the founding fathers were doing is they were saying, we do not want the church interfering in the affairs or the state interfering in the affairs of the church. Brothers and sisters, that's not where we're at now. We're in a time and position where they say the church has no place in the state. And so you have the church that recoils and you have the church that pulls back and the church that says, we're not going to take it. No, we ain't going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. So Peter writes into this. And Peter gives us a framework for the freedoms that we have as believers. And I want to point to you here in the text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. And we're going to read down through verse 17. And that's going to be our primary text this morning. I hope that you will keep your Bible open because we're going to be turning to some other places, uh, which is more than we normally do. But we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about this picture of freedom. Because a lot of times we will hide behind this label and saying, well, I have freedom. And so I have freedom to do this. Or I have freedom to do that. And Peter's going to come in and he's writing to these believers. And he says, no, you need to understand there are some guardrails that... Frame your freedom. And you need to understand what your freedom truly is. So notice in verse 13, I'm going to read verse 13 now through 17, and then we're going to step back, and let's just look at these freedoms that Peter refers to. 1 Peter 2, verse 13, this is what the Bible says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I don't know if you've ever heard people refer to talking about both sides of your mouth, but then sometimes when I read that passage, I think, well, Peter, you're saying both things. You're saying honor God, and then you're also saying honor the government. So, Peter, which is it? Where am I supposed to be? Well, let me give you just several things to think about when it comes to our freedom. First thing is, as you see there in your notes, God is sovereign. That's what Peter is referring to there in verse 13 when he says, I want you to remember the Lord's sake. And then you look at verse 15, and he talks about it being the will of God. And then you look down at verse 16 and he says, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, to fear God. Again and again and again, Peter is emphasizing and reminding to us the principle, the truth, the reality that regardless of what is going on around us, God is sovereign. What does it mean to be sovereign, Spence? It means a person who has supreme power or authority. In other words, what Peter is reminding us is that God is in total control at every moment. You believe that, Spence. You believe that God is in total control at every single moment. I do. Well, how can you believe that, Spence, in light of everything that is going on around us? I can believe that because if God is not in control, then God is not God. And if God is not God, then what in the world are we doing here? 
You see, you can say, well, I don't understand this natural disaster. I don't understand this sickness. I don't understand this circumstance. I don't understand this reality. I don't understand what is going on. I don't understand what I'm seeing. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. You may not understand it, but that does not mean that God is not in control. God is sovereign, which means God is in control. But the reality is, and we see this throughout Scripture, is that our carnality, our sinfulness, our flesh, our humanity, leads us to being short-sighted. What does it mean to be short-sighted? It means that you can only see a certain distance in front of you, and that's it. I can only see six feet. I can only see ten feet. And sometimes your life is bound by this. All you can see is this single moment. You can't see what God is doing down the road. Let me give you an example of this. Think back to Exodus chapter 14. God is bringing the people under the leadership of Moses. He's bringing them out of the bondage, out of the slavery. He brings them up to the brink of the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, it says there in verse 4, and God is speaking to Moses and he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over them. So, short story. People have left. Pharaoh changes his mind and says, no, I want all those Israelites back. So he sends his army. Pharaoh and his armies, they go and they go to recapture, re-enslave the people of Israel. And so they get to the Red Sea and they see Pharaoh and his army coming. And those people are like, oh, you remember? No, some of you haven't, don't know who Jerry Clower is. And you need to know who Jerry Clower is. Because there's a certain time where Jerry Clower in his, in his comedy, went, oh, oh, and it's like that. That's what I think about is that the, these Israelites that got up to the Red Sea and they saw Pharaoh and his army coming and they're going, oh, Oh, their mind's melting down. They don't know what to do. They're just going out of their bunkers. Why? Because they were very short-sighted. God wasn't losing his mind because God knew what was going to happen. God had it. Now, now think about this. The Israelites' people, they had saw the ten plagues come. They had saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle. They had seen all of this, and yet when they're, and this is a colloquium that I use, when their fat got on the fire, they lost all sense of memory. And they forgot what God had done. And so they get there and they're flipping out. Moses, what do we do? And so what does this say? Verse 13, Exodus 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses looks at the people and says, you don't have to do anything. Just stand here. Don't run. Don't cower. Don't have fear. Just stand here and watch what God is going to do. Then he tells them in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. He says, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to do a thing. Just stop. And wait upon God. The people got short-sighted. God isn't short-sighted or far-sighted. God is all-sighted. God could see it. God knew in God's sovereignty. He knew what was going to take place. He knew what was happening. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we think that we have the power. We think we have the control. We think we determine what we do, when we do, how we do. We think that we can whip a virus. We think that we can beat a a sports team. We think that we can uh, achieve a certain accomplishment. I want to tell you this morning that control and power is deceptive. With all this power and control that we think we have is nothing compared to God. God is sovereign. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter wants to remind them, do not forget the sovereignty of God. So regardless of the circumstance, donkey, elephant, vaccine, no vaccine, it doesn't matter. God is still sovereign. Which means God is still able to do whatever God wants to do. Now, if we want to have a conversation, why is God doing this? Why is God doing that? There's a lot of but what's. But I'm going to tell you that it begins with this foundational truth that God is sovereign. So our freedom then comes through God's sovereignty. Our freedom does not come through a piece of paper. 
Our freedom does not come through a geographical location. Our freedom does not come from the pigment of our skin. Our freedom does not come from our legacy or ethnicity. Our freedom does not come from our last name. Our freedom does not come from our education. Our freedom does not come from our intelligence. Our freedom does not come through our abilities. Our freedom comes through the sovereignty of God. So he reminds them there, First Peter 2, remember that no matter what is going on in you, whether governmental, whether social, whether cultural, remember it's all under the sovereignty of God. And then notice the second thing. That God uses authorities. Well, this is difficult. This is difficult for me because this steps on some toes and some things that I don't like to have to admit. But not only is God sovereign, but God uses authorities. Notice he says there back in verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake. To who? To every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him who punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. He says he says God uses authorities in your life. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care of your gender. I don't care of your background. I don't think there's one of us in this room that says we like authority. I mean, at least we can all be honest with each other. Nobody likes being told what to do. Nobody likes having the authority that says, this is when you got to do what we want you to do. You know, I would have I loved the military if it wasn't for them always telling me what to do. I would have a lot more enjoyable time at my work if they weren't always trying to tell me what to do. You know, there's a lot of things in life that would be so much more pleasant and so much more agreeable if there wasn't this constant people telling you what to do. You know, sometimes we can get so bombarded and so negative when it comes to the authorities in our lives, we forget that God uses authorities for our good. That God can use authorities for his purpose. He reminds us there, and this is something that is uncomfortable many times, especially in a, in, in a more rural, smaller, conservative church like this, but we're reminded that God uses government and rulers. In fact, he tells us right there. He tells us, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. He is saying that there are governments, there are rulers, there are magistrates. Magistrates is just a word talking about lawyers, and those that hand out the judicial uh, letter of the law, the courts. He is saying that God uses these as God wills. There's another passage that I want you to look at. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 13. There's another parallel passage that people will use, and this has been used and misused, especially during these last couple of years. But listen to what Paul writes here in Romans 13 and verse 1. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now I can already feel your eyes, and I can already hear the thoughts in your brain, because you're starting to ask the question, Spence, are you telling me that we have to do everything the government tells us to do? I can feel it. I know it. 
No, I'm not. Well, Spence, what are the exception clauses? I believe, based upon the Scripture of God, not just from one passage or another passage, I believe Scripture is teaching us that if it conflicts or it violates our obedience and faithfulness to God, then we have a responsibility to serve God before serving the government. But oh, brothers and sisters, let us not treat everything as a conflict with the government into which we are placed. Let us not say that everything is a right for us to stand up because everything from the government is wrong. Let me give you an example. I am driving down 66B and I'm headed towards Swafford West. And I'm heading down through there and I'm clipping along at a good 85 miles an hour. Now you can drive faster than there. I've seen people do it. But you can drive faster than 85. But let's say I'm driving 85 through this stretch. And what is this speed limit? 45, 35, 25, 15, something like that. Way low. Way lower than a person can safely do it. But let's say I'm clipping along through that 85. And let's say municipal policeman pulls me over. And he comes up to the car and he, he says, uh, well, well, Spencer, do you know how fast you're driving? I sure do. Well, you know, that's a, above the speed limit. Well, you know, I don't have to listen to you because I have a higher power God. No, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work because what did God tell me to do? God told me to be subject to the governing authorities over me. So, that, you know, there are times and there are things that we should, we should default, we should abide by the rules of the land. But you think about other examples, whether it came to the Egyptian midwives or the, the uh, Israelite, the Hebrew midwives there, and they lied to Pharaoh about the, the wyvern. You think about when Peter and John are sitting there and they're preaching and they get brought back in before the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, don't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they say, listen, Buster, I don't know whether it's good for you or not, but as for me, I'm not going to say of anything, but I've heard I'm going to keep preaching Jesus because Jesus has told me to preach him. There are times that we might be conflicted. There are times that we might be confronted, but brothers and sisters, we very, very, very rarely ever see these moments that come when our social rebellion or our government rebellion is justified in the eyes of God. Could there be times that we may be asked to violate our religious freedom? Absolutely. Are there times that we may need to defy the rules of this land to serve after God? Absolutely. But brothers and sisters, let us be careful that we recognize that God uses these authorities in our life. Just this last election cycle, I was praying, God, give us what we need, not what we deserve. Unfortunately, I think we've got the latter instead of the former. We understand that there are all of these instances out there where God uses these authorities. He uses these authorities. He uses the magistrates. He uses the courts. He uses Jesus and the Bible. Think about Mark chapter 12. When the Pharisees, they bring the religious, they bring the token. They bring the monetary token to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? Jesus says, well, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, Caesar's. And they say, fine. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. All throughout scripture, we are reminded that God places authority in our lives for his glory and for our good. And not only does he use government and rulers, he uses magistrates and courts, but he uses Jesus and the Bible to be an authority in our life to give us instruction of what we are to do. And I realize that we don't like the idea of authority, but what is God? God is an authority. God is an authority in our life. And if we will not submit to the things that God has put in our lives, then what makes us think that we're going to submit to God? We see such a breakdown right now when it comes to the home and parents not 
disciplining their children to obey their parents. And I, and I hear these parents who go, well, you know what? I want to be a little free. And you know what? I think little Johnny should have a right to do what Johnny wants to do. And you know what? And I, I just want to be a very tender, kinder parent. I want to ask you, if you're not going to teach little Johnny to obey you, then how is little Johnny going to learn to obey God? And it's an authority issue. We have far too many people running around in this world saying, we're not going to take it. No, we're not going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. And so Peter wants to remind them of 1 Peter 2. Remember that God has given you authority for a reason. So the question on the table then. But what about the shot, Spence? So let's, let's, let me address it. It's not in the text, so please don't think that I'm pulling this out of the text in an exegetical situation. But let's talk about the shot. Let me just put a couple of things out there to begin with. I try to be widely listened. I try to be widely read. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, we're not called to be objective. We're called to be biblical. One of the things that we get caught up in is thinking that we have to be objective so we have to give both sides equal treatment. I'm going to tell you, we have not been commanded as God's people to be objective. We have been called by God's people to be biblical. So the question on the table is, is where does the Bible stand? So that, so originally the, the motivation is to not be objective but be biblical. And, and secondly, we can be distracted if we start paying attention more to the conspiracies of man than the counsel of God. And we must be careful because you don't have to look very far on Facebook or anywhere else. You don't have to look very far at all before you can start finding conspiracies of man and get away from the counsel of God. So not only when we think about this subject, when we think about this questions, we need to remember that the goal is to be biblical. The desire is to hear the counsel of God. And while there may be a lot of assumptions or predictions about what is going to happen tomorrow, remember, in our carnality, we can be very short-sighted and none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. So the next 30 seconds, 45 seconds, 5 minutes... It's me giving you my observation of today. You may say, well, Spence, what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? I can't predict and neither can you. So let's just talk about today. The question on the table. Shot or no shot? Well, as of today, it is not a legal requirement for citizens to accept the shot. It may be a requirement for employment. It may be a requirement for travel. It may be a social expectation. But today, there is not a legal requirement for every citizen to receive the shot. So here's some questions that I ask myself that you might find useful, you may not find useful. I ask myself the question, is this a spiritual issue or is it a social issue? Is it a spiritual issue or is it a social issue? I know even in this room, even in this room, there is different opinions. Some are for, some are opposed, and I want to respect and be kind to each individual idea. But we need to ask ourselves a question in the church. Is this a spiritual issue or is this a social issue? Because if it's a social issue, then God can be using it. God can be using it as a way to test us. Satan can be using it as a way to distract us. We need to ask ourselves a question. Is this a spiritual issue or is this a social issue? Not everything that you disagree with is a spiritual issue. 
Sometimes it can be a matter that it's a distraction or it's a personal or it's a social thing that you say, no, I'm going to turn this into a spiritual thing. But I want to stop short of saying that we have a chapter and verse that commands one thing or the other because I don't. And you don't either. So let's ask ourselves a question. Is this a spiritual issue or is it a social issue? Let's ask another question. Conviction or is it comfort? Do you feel convicted by the Spirit of God that you are to have one opinion or the other? Or is it one of those things that it's easier to do this or easier to do that? You know, we have this herd mentality as people. We like to be identified with the the common group around us. And so if everybody's doing it, we want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be the sore thumb sticking out. And so we go do it. Or some of you, some of you being faced with very difficult decisions because it's becoming a matter of employment. And you're saying, well, do I keep a job or do I lose a job? Is it a conviction or is it comfort? Third question I'd ask myself is the motivation out of my faith in God or my fear of man? Is my motivation out of my faith in God or my fear in man? Why do I have the position that I have? Is it spiritual or social? Is it conviction versus comfort? Is it faith versus fear of man? I would encourage you to ask those three questions when you're coming to a decision on where you're going to stand. If you're wanting me to say yes or no to get the shot, I'm not going to tell you. Because you know why? Because that is a personal decision. I don't have a chapter and verse that says thou shalt or thou shalt not. I don't have it. And neither do you. And some of that is meant to divide and polarize the church of God. And it's not a matter of today that we have to take a stand as a church. We have not been mandated or required legally in order to have a church service that we have to do proof of vaccination, proof of anything. None of that has been required today. So today, where do we stand? Where do you stand? Do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea? I would just ask you, is it a spiritual issue or is it a social issue? Is it a conviction issue or a comfort issue? Is it a faith in God or a fear of man issue? And then whenever you land. Let me ask you three things. Wherever you stand, I make three requests of you. Be consistent. Wherever you're at, be consistent. I am getting my ear, my my good ear, it's being filled with People that are on the nay side, people on the opposite side saying, oh no, we're against it, we're against the mandate, we're against the employers, we're against the government trying to tell us what to do, we're against all of this stuff. Okay, but where were you at when employers started requiring employees to work on Sundays? Or employers started mandating to employees what they could and could not talk about at work? Where were you at when employers started funding immoral, unchristian programs where were you at in standing up for God's people then there's a website you can go to it's called secondvote.com the, the number 2 ndvote v-o-t-e dot com and on that website you can type in certain companies and they've done their research to find out what companies are supporting what social causes so you want to see who's being the biggest supporter of the LBTC movement you can get on there and you can look up and you can see what your brands you can see the people that you like and they haven't even having a score there based upon who they support and who they, uh, they sponsor in those monies. You can get on there and say, hey, this money that I'm spending, you can actually speak with your money, speak with your support. But I would ask for consistency. And then on the other side, if you are a pro-shot person, I ask for consistency. 
you've never asked for a proof of vaccination to ride a plane before. We've never mandated that people conform to one group. The flu shot has been around for a long time and yet we've never had the veracity or the aggressiveness when people to comply to a social pressure. I would ask for consistency on both sides. Also ask for clarity. Wherever you stand on the conversation, be clear. There's a lot of misinformation going on around there. There's a lot of facts versus fiction. And if you get all of your information off a fake book, or if you get all your information off of social media, and you let that inform you, I promise you for every pro video, I can show you a con video. And every con video, I can show you a pro video. So make sure that you're clear why you have the position that you have instead of just being a talking head, repeating what other people have said that you don't know whether it's true or not. So I ask for consistency. I ask for clarity. But above all, I ask for charity. There have been things in the past that have threatened to fracture the church. And you can say, well, I've never seen such a contentious time as this. There's always been contentious times in the world. But let us make sure when we come to this issue, whether it is political or whether it is social, let's make sure that we practice charity at all times. What do you mean charity, Spence? I'm talking about the kind of attitude that not only is be kind, you be considerate, and you be compassionate. I'm going to tell you that there are people in this room that loved ones, people close to them, have suffered from the sickness. We're not taking anything away from that. There are some people that are very passionate about what they believe and why they believe. We have no reason to call into question their sincerity. And not a single one of us in this room has any excuse not to be charitable. Regardless of the opinions and the views. So Peter is right here in this text. And Peter is bringing us to mind what this freedom looks like. So you may say, well, Spence, what about later on down the road? What about if they do this? What about if they do that? I can't speak to you about what they may do. I can just speak to you about where we're at today. And I want to remind you that God is sovereign and that God uses authorities. And so the authority that's in your life, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God can use that for his glory and for your good. Which brings me to the third frame of our freedom. And that is that God uses people. God uses people. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, look back up in verse 13. He says, be subject. Now, who's he referring to? He's referring to the Christian. He's referring to the Christians that are gathered together as the church collectively. And he says, be subject. He's referring to the individual person. And then he goes on down there in verse 16. He says, live as people. He's talking to them individually. And then you go on to verse 17. He says, honor everyone. He's talking to people. He's telling them that God is not only sovereign, He God uses authorities, but God also uses people. How How does he use people? He uses people because he knows he has people that are both believers and citizens. And he wants them to be able to use that dynamic to point people to Jesus. Think about Hebrews chapter 11. And you have the whole of faith that is sitting there. And the whole writer of Hebrews is making the point that these people, not only were they living in their current time, but they were pointing people to the faith to be realized for the Christ that was to come. They were pointing people to the reality of who God is in their life. And maybe God is using us at this time to show, to navigate, to teach, to warn, to model, to disciple. Maybe he's using us at this time to say, this is how you live faithfully before God. You don't get caught up in all the blah, 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 blah. You don't get caught up in saying, well, I have rights and my rights are being infringed upon. You recognize that we are here to point people to God. 
point people to the love of Christ. To point people to Jesus. That's what we're here for. We're not here to divide. We're not here to get in our cliques and our bands. We're, we're not here to single people out. We're not here to try to take a political statement. I'm going to tell you, elections have consequences. But that doesn't mean that we are required as the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to then say we're going to take a social stand. Brothers and sisters, we have many issues that we need to be addressing in the world today. A lack of holiness. A lack of faithfulness. A lack of biblical literacy. Hypocrisy. Oh, we have plenty of issues that we can address in the world today. And God uses these people. God uses the people there in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is saying, maybe God is using you, maybe God is using you during this time to point people at Him. Because there'll be situations that come up and they'll be saying, well, how in the world do you do this? How in the world do you live this? How in the world do you practice this? And they say, you know what? I'm doing it because of my freedom in Christ. So maybe God is using some people, not just to model and disciple, but some people to trust and to follow. Maybe he's looking at people saying, would you be willing to not get caught up in all of the traffic going on around you, all of the talking heads around you, but would you be willing to be the kind of person looking to point people to God in the midst of the world around you? And brothers and sisters, sometimes we get so caught up in my freedoms and my rights and my things that I forget that it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I like. It's not about my preferences. It's not about what I choose. It's about pointing people to Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to have differences of opinions on how far to take that and where that line is with that. But brothers and sisters, let that be our base motivation. That our positions and our stances are not because of what I think and what I like. But it's more what God wants and God likes points people to him. So he tells us that there's some freedom. Absolutely, there is some freedom. <coughs> Recognize that this freedom is informed by God's sovereignty. It's informed by God using authorities in your life. It's informed by God maybe using you to serve his kingdom so that other people will come to him. That's why he says in verse 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. He wants to remind them that realize that God is using you to bring other people to spiritual freedom. And yet we get caught up on our social media posts. We get caught up on YouTube. We get caught up in watching the news clips. And we get caught up and all we want to do is talk, talk, talk about this and this and that and that. Misinformation, disinformation, fiction, facts, all of it. And maybe Satan is just sitting back smiling and saying, their attention is not on the lost. Their devotion is not on the kingdom. I'm winning. So God uses people. But then finally, and we'll be done, God gives this freedom through fear. What do you mean, Spence? Through fear. When we recognize that our freedom, our freedom as believers, it's not a matter of a freedom that we get from a piece of paper, we get from a geographical location and ethnicity. It's not a freedom based upon your education. Our freedom is informed and our freedom is structured by our belief in God. And God gives us this freedom through Fear. Where do you get that from, Spence? Through fear. I get it from verse 17. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Now this fear is not a fear of fright. It's not a fear of scared, being scared. 
Got a coworker at work that he can't stand spiders. But he doesn't mind snakes. And so we're a good team. We are a wonderful team. We get there on the job site, and if there's a spider, and he goes, eat. Gotcha. We go there, there's a snake. Eat. He's got me. It, it just works out. It, it's, and I'm not talking about, about a fear like that. I'm not talking about an attitude like that. I'm talking about the reverence, the respect, the holiness. It's the attitude that we should have when it comes to this idea of who God is because God is holy. God is other. God is not like us. God is above us. God is our creator. God is our sustainer. God is the thing. God is the God that puts everything in motion. God is not our homeboy. God is not the man upstairs. God is not somebody that some country singer has a beer with. God is not somebody that we treat trifling. God is not somebody that we take flippantly. God is not a person. God is not a God that we take his name in vain or that we blame him and accuse him and demand him to answer to us. This God is above anything above all this God is the reason why you have life at this very moment and if we had even one small smidgen of who God was we would not be content with living life the way we live them today heard a quote just this last week about the the founder of Salvation Army and how he was talking about trying to mobilize those early volunteers and mobilize those people and he he made a statement and I'm just paraphrasing here because I don't know it verbatim but he made a statement about he would much rather see all of those volunteers put in hell for 10 minutes than spend an entire year trying to train them and teach them and compel them because he understood that if you if they got a glimpse of what hell was like they would never be the same and they would never lose that zeal and that drive to tell people about Jesus and brothers and sisters too many of the time we get too comfortable because we've lost our awe of God. You go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah is writing and when he saw the glory of God, he was on his face. Daniel, when he saw the glory of God, he was on his face. John on the island of Patmos in Revelation, when he saw the glory of God, he was on his face. When you had the transfiguration and Jesus is there, when the disciples saw the glory, that radiant glory, they fell on their face. You never see in the word of God, you never see in the Bible where me or Mo or Van were in the presence and the glory of the holiness of God and we're like, what's up? going on you never see that you always see this reverence you always see this awe and brothers and sisters God gives freedom God gives us freedom through this fear so he tells us there in verse 17 honor everyone love the brotherhood fear God I want to remind you this morning that fear of God aligns our faith what do you mean Spence it aligns our faith well, it brings into clarity what we are to do, whether it's our priorities or our anxieties or even our values. When we have our fear of God, it properly aligns our faith in God. Let me give you an example of this. I couldn't get off of it. I know it's a bit of a Sunday school story, but I just couldn't get away from it when I was thinking about this story. Think about Daniel. Think about the book of Daniel, and you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What takes place? You have these three men that are sitting there, and Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to build this idol, and the people have to bow down to it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we ain't doing it. And he's like, oh, you're going to do it. No, we ain't going to do it. Oh, yeah, you're going to do it. So he has this fiery furnace. You know the Sunday school story? Has a fiery furnace, brings these little three Hebrew men in there, and say, all right, boys, here's the deal. Either you're going to cook, or you're going to bow. One of the two. And they're like, no, 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 no. And he says, all right, I don't like it. This is what's going to happen. And he tells them. I'm going to play the sound of the music. Go ahead and bow. Nobody's going to think less of you. Just go ahead and bow. And we'll just move on. Oh, Daniel chapter 3. I just wish that there was a single person in this room that had these kind of bones about them this morning. 
Listen to what it says in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. These, these three young men had their fear of God in their right place. And when their fear of God aligned their faith and they were able to look at the king, they were able to look at the most powerful man in the entire world and they look at him and go we don't need to talk about it we don't need to question about it we don't need to go study the God's word about it we don't need to ask our Sunday school teacher about it we don't need to ask a friend we don't need to ask we don't need to put a post on social media we don't need to ask, go ask the preacher we don't need to text Cha Cha and ask him we can just tell you right now ah! because their fear of God aligned their faith and not just that but the freedom from God aligns our actions once our fear in God is in its proper place, and that aligns our faith in God, and once our faith in God, it aligns our actions before God. I'm talking about your obedience. I'm talking about your devotions. I'm talking about your commitments. I'm talking about the things that you do. This fear of God that interprets what you do and how you do it. It's not a matter of saying, well, you know what, those people are from church. I don't want to get caught. Oh, those people may hear me. Those people may see me. I don't want those people to know. And you're all fear of man. You're fear of what man may say. When your fear of God is where it's supposed to be, no one does it align your faith, but it aligns your actions. Many of us, we've gotten off the mark. We've gotten backslidden. We've gotten calloused, apathetic, lethargic. Because we've lost our fear of God. Well, Spence, can't you just put more legalism in place? You can't legalism people to faithfulness. Well, Spence, can't you just demand a, a dress code? Can't you just demand what people act like and what people talk like and what people look like? I'm going to tell you that there have been religions and there have been churches and there have been denominations for years and years and years that have tried to do that. And they can't, they can't mandate faithfulness. What brings about faithfulness? A proper fear of God. And church, we need to understand that this freedom that we have is informed and it is aligned by our fear of God. You say, well, Spence, I don't like this idea that I got to be fear of God. Then how is that really freedom? Oh, there is freedom when you have fear in God. And there is freedom when you have God that is aligning your faith and that faith aligning your actions. You have freedom to serve God, to point to God, to be free in your life before God. You know that you are living a life that is pleasing to God so when that day comes, and it will come for every single one of us, when that day comes and we stand before God, we will not stand before God with our head down. We will not stand before God with our hands behind our backs. We will not stand before God and muttering with cotton mouth and then, and then, and then we will not stand before God and have two many questions to answer for. We will stand before God knowing that our eternity is secured because the blood of Christ that was covering our sins. We knew that we can stand before God and we can say God, here I am. I have served you. I have been faithful to you because I know that my fear of you aligned my faith and my faith aligned my actions and God I'm not here because I took the shot or didn't take the shot. I'm not here because I was a donkey or an elephant. I'm not here because I was a Baptist or a Methodist or a Church of Christ or a Christian. I am here because I'm a father of Jesus Christ and God I'm here because I had the proper fear of you and that fear led to a faith before you and that's where it comes that's where that freedom comes from so it's a great freedom in knowing you're right in the eyes of God 
I don't know about you, but I've been a student most of my life. I started another season of academics just this last September. Some of my hardest seasons in my education has been the biblical language, just the Greek and the Hebrew. They're terrible. I don't know why they do it, but they still, they, they still choose to do it. And, and, and it doesn't matter. I, I don't get it. I got computer programs that Jalen and I have invested a lot of money in that does it all for me. I don't understand why I have to have all the parsing and all the conjugations. And I don't understand why I have to know all the endings. And I, I don't understand how I feel do all of this language work. But this is part of it. And so you submit to the authorities that God has put over you. When we were down there at Zanis, I would work Tuesday through Thursday, Tuesday through Friday. I had Saturday that I would spend with my family and I would spend preparing for Sunday. Sunday was a full day serving there at the church. And then Monday, I would head to Fort Worth for my full day of classes on Monday. And I knew on Monday, Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock, I was walking to that Greek class. And I knew what was going to happen when I walked into that Greek class. They were going to slide a piece of paper in front of me. And on that piece of paper was going to be 20 Greek words that I was supposed to have memorized as vocabulary. You know how many times I drove down I-35 flipping <laughs> cards trying to memorize vocabulary? But you know, there's something that is freeing when you have it known and you have learned it. And I can walk into that class with my head up because I've already got it. You can slide that piece of paper. I don't care. I'll fill out the piece of paper and I'll get a hundred on and I'll slide it back to you to smile on my face. But you know, there's a difference in that. And there's a difference in walking in not knowing a single word. You walk in, you got that sheepish look on your face trying to do that last minute cramming doubtful, you're fretful, you're anxious because you're not ready. And church, there's a day that Jesus is coming back and he's going to find some of us anticipating and ready for his return. He's going to find some of us looking forward to hearing the shout, the sound of the trumpet. He's going to find some of us that are saying, I have been waiting for you for so long. What took you so long? He's going to find some of us trying to argue with each other about things that really don't matter 10,000 years from now. And he's going to find some of us fighting for a right that is temporal. He's going to find some of us arguing for a situation that is of this world. He's going to find some of us that are divided. He's going to find some of us that are anxious. He's going to find some of us that are surprised that he's here. I plead with you to think about what Peter is saying when it comes to our freedom in him. So how do we live free in God? Just three application points will be done. I know I'm out of time. First thing is to remember your place. To remember your place. Where are you? God has placed you here for a specific time. God has placed you here for a specific purpose. God has placed you in for this season. Not to point to a social circumstance. Not to point to something for you. But to point people to Him. Remember your place. You are here as a light post. As as a lighthouse for the kingdom of God. Remember your place. Focus on eternal matters. There are many things that we get caught up in. We. I'm saying we. 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 Me and you. There's many things that we get caught up in that aren't going to matter a stinking thing in a thousand years from now. So many things that I get caught up in. I got to look at the sports scores. I got to see. Did Alabama get beat yesterday? Of course Alabama didn't get beat yesterday. Who would think that Alabama would get beat yesterday? OSU didn't get beat either. Uh I had to get that in there. Charles isn't here. But... 
Bible says you find yourself distracted. You find yourself focused on things that have no eternal value. And brothers and sisters, let's get our mind on the things that are eternal. And this last one, we're done. Model freedom through fear. If you want to show people your freedom, if you want to show people your rights, if you want to show people your individuality, if you want people to see what you can do and who you are and you want to be your own person, then show them the fear of God in your life. There's not a single law this country can pass. There's not a single mandate this government can issue. There's not a single requirement your employer can place upon you that can keep you from being, ba- from being faithful to God. There is nothing that this world can legislate, mandate, or edict. There is nothing that can keep you and I from being faithful to God. It may be more challenging. It may be more difficult. It may require more sacrifice. It may require persecution. It may require giving something up. It may require you having to deny something. It may require you doing things that you don't want to do. But there is nothing that this world can do that can prevent you from being faithful to God. So instead of us looking around and blaming everybody else for our lack of faithfulness, maybe the time is today when we look at ourselves and say am I being faithful to God I believe here in 1 Peter chapter 2 he is reminding them that yes you're a believer in Jesus Christ but you're also a citizen in the world so while you are there be faithful to God so what is keeping you from being faithful to God today would you bow your heads with me